Well, it's great to be here this morning. I've been anticipating this time for a long time, and I don't know where y'all are supposed to meet me, but it will not cost you $10. Uh, so uh, it's free, and uh, I may owe you money by the time we're done. So I'm just glad to be here. My name is Jeff Gong, where I serve with Pastor Wellness uh, in the East Central Southeast regions of Georgia. Uh, if you know Chris Reynolds, Chris Reynolds and I do about the same job in different places, and we're colleagues and friends. Uh, so glad that y'all have invited me to come. I'm looking forward to sharing God's Word with you. Um, if Thomas Hammond were here, he would thank you for your support of the cooperative program and what a blessing it is to partner together in ministry to see people go all over the world. I've had friends that have come off the mission field that were with the International Mission Board, three of them, that were there for their whole careers. They've come back and God used them in great ways. It's great to hear their stories of what God has been doing all over the world in dangerous places, many of them. So uh, thank you so much for your support in that. And I'd like to open with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that Jesus is in this place. I thank you for Anthony and the choir as they have led us to the throne of grace where we can find grace and help in our time of need. And I ask that today that your Holy Spirit would just go before me as I preach this message. Lord, we go through times of sifting, times of difficulty. And I just pray today that you would help us to tie our anchor to you, that your anchor holds, that you would just do a mighty work in our life. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, our rock and redeemer, in Jesus' name. Amen. Personal failure can either be a, a setup for success or a step back away from God. You know, I think of someone like the Apostle Peter. You know, Peter is kind of a hero and kind of a cautionary tale all at the same time. If you read through the Gospels, you find that he was always cycling through success and failure. I went and wrote down kind of the timeline of his successes and failures, and I'm sure I've missed a couple of them. But I kind of want you to see that this man of God that was used greatly by God was a person that experienced seasons of failure. Listen to this. Success. Peter walked on the water. Failure. He got his eyes off Jesus and began to sing. Success. Jesus called Peter the rock because he confessed Jesus as the son of the living God. Failure. And this is just right after. Jesus calls him Satan because Peter tempted him not to fulfill his destiny, which was the cross. Success, Peter bravely proclaimed that he was willing to die with Jesus. Failure, Jesus predicted that he would deny Jesus three times, and he did. Success, Jesus, Peter joined Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane to be there to support him with James and John. Failure, like James and John, he fell asleep at Jesus' greatest hour of need. Success. Peter was the one that preached the Pentecost sermon and 3,000 people were saved. Failure. Later on in Galatia, he confused the gospel message and had to be rebuked by Paul. But Peter's ultimate success was that he grew through his failures, that he allowed God to use him, and he even died on a cross upside down because he did not feel honored to die like his Savior. 
And so Peter's one of those guys that's kind of one of my heroes. He had foot-in-the-mouth disease. The only time he opened his mouth was to exchange feet. And we feel like that sometimes, that we cycle through these times of, of failure and, and success. We know that anything that comes out of us that's good is, is God, that only God is good and only he can fill us with the Spirit to become what he wants us to be. But there are times that we fail him, and it may be a failure that comes upon us that we have, that we have no control over. It could be something that we bring upon us that we wish we would have done differently. And so what I want to do is I want to look at an episode in Peter's life that we all know about that really, I think, kind of encapsulates what was going on in Peter's ministry and in Peter's life ever since he became a Christian and until he died. And I believe it's the same thing that we go, to, go through today. And what I want you to do, this is what I'm asking you to do today. I want you to put your feet in Peter's shoes. And I want you to begin to ask yourself the question... Is God using a situation in my life today to sift me so that I can become more and more like Jesus? There are some here that some past failure has begun, begun to define you. It might have been a, a bad situation you were in in the past. Maybe you committed a crime, had to serve time in jail. Maybe you went through a, a painful divorce. Maybe you look back on your child rearing and you would have done things differently. You know, there's a lot of regrets that we can have in life. And sometimes we get stuck in our regret. Instead of allow God to do a new thing in our lives so that he could bring greater glory. I'm so glad as Peter went through these times of success and failure that he didn't just give up and walk away. Now, there was a time he walked away. But Jesus went after him and we'll see that too. So today what I want to do is, is look at Luke chapter 22. Would you turn there? Luke chapter 22. And in Luke chapter 22, we find a passage that we're all familiar with, I believe. If we read the gospel stories of, of Jesus Christ and of, of his death on the cross, and there's this passage where Peter, that Jesus pulls him aside. Now, let me give you context here. What's going on is, is Jesus has just shared the Passover with his disciples that he has, he has shared with them the high priestly prayer. He has given them instruction about his second coming. He has, he's pulled them together. They've shared a meal. Judas has left. Everybody's wondering who that betrayer was, and obviously it was Judas. And they're about to make their way out of the house, and I believe Jesus pulls Peter aside. And he's got some things he wants to say to Peter because Peter needs to understand what's about to come. And in verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Then we see another failure. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. It's amazing that, that Peter goes from this bold statement to Jesus saying, you're going to deny me three times. But I really want to zero in on verses 31 through verse 32. And, and here's the overarching truth. It's this. We fail forward when we fix our eyes on God. And so no matter where you are, whatever failure you're going through, whatever trial or challenge you're going through, whatever you've gone through in the past that seems to capture your mind every time you try to go to sleep, I want you to understand 
that God wants you to fail forward. That that failure was designed to refine you, to be more like Christ. So there's three ways that God designs life's failures to refine us for greater usefulness. Number one is failure refines us when we recognize its source. Jesus says, Behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Now, when I read that, I think of the story of Job. We all know the story of Job. We know how, how God was approached by Satan, and God gave permission to Satan to take things away from Job, the props in his life, whether it was his family or his wealth, his property. Even his wife turned on him and said, curse God and die. And then he has his three buddies show up and try to explain what God's doing. And in the end, God says, listen, you just all need to shut up. Y'all need to be quiet because you cannot understand the mystery of why I have permitted this to happen. And Job turns to God, worships God, and God blesses his life at the end greater than he blessed him at the beginning. And so when I hear about the fact that Satan desires demands to have Peter and that he would sift him like wheat. I think of the story of Job and the fact that that God has allowed Satan to come into his presence and Peter who is probably at that profile that Job was in his day as far as being a spiritual leader that God hands Peter over to Satan with boundaries and permissions. In the case of Job and Peter We see this statement, it'll be on the screen. Satan's desire is to destroy, while God's desire is to refine. He uses the same circumstances where Satan is trying to do something evil, God is trying to do something good. It's like Job's, it's like Joseph's brothers in in, in the book of Genesis and how they intended things for evil, but God intended those things for good. We know Romans 8, 28. That God works all things together for for good for those who are called by God and are called according to his purpose. That that when we read those passages, we're assured that things aren't as they appear to be because God has a deeper weaving of a story in our life that we may never understand until we get to heaven. We just have to trust God. So when we talk about the source of where this was coming from, it did come from Satan, but it was under God's permission. Now, Satan is an enemy. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering that are experienced by you, by the brotherhood throughout the world. So what he's saying is this. You know what? Satan is an enemy, and he is... He is trying to circle you. He's trying to destroy you. But he he tells us, listen, we can defeat Satan, not on our own, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He says, resist him steadfast, firm in your faith. You see, when we have faith in God, what happens is it dispels the attack of the enemy. He may still attack, but our God is greater than Satan. Do y'all realize that? What that means is that Satan is not God's equal. It's not like yin-yang, where you have, e- you have evil and you have good, and they kind of merge together. You can't have good without evil. You can't have evil without good. I want to tell you, God created the world good. 
He says it over and over again in the creation account. And there will be a time when the new heaven and new earth are created, and it will be good. But right now, this world is fallen, sinful, rebellious against God, and in need of redemption. And that's what the cross of Jesus Christ is all about. No matter what addiction you find yourself in, whatever lifestyle you find yourself in, whatever situation you find yourself in, your sin separates you from a holy God. And only through the cross of Jesus Christ can you be reconciled back to God because Jesus took our sins upon him and died in our place so that he might give us his righteousness and declare us to be a child of God. And that can only come through faith and repentance. In Luke twenty-two thirty-one, it says that Satan demanded to have Peter. Now, the word demanded is a strong word. It means to urgently insist on something and getting it. But this does not mean that God had no choice in the matter. Again, our enemy cannot act on a believer without first submitting to the overruling and permissive authority of the Lord. Then he talks about the fact that, you have to, that he was going to be sifted like wheat. Now, I, I worked for Chick-fil-A for five years in high school and college, thought I might be an operator one day, and God called me to ministry. My brother-in-law's an operator. One of the things, if you've ever worked for Chick-fil-A, you know that you've got to sift that batter because that batter gets all clumped up with the, uh, the, the milk wash and all that kind of stuff. So you're always sifting, making sure that it's the right kind of batter to put on that chicken so it turns out the same every time. When I would do that, what would happen is there would be a lot of clumps and you would just throw them away. Back then they would take wheat and they'd put the wheat in a sieve and they would shake it and move it around violently and, and all the good stuff would fall out and all the rest was the chaff on the top. And they would dump that out. Now Satan, what he wanted to do, it says Satan has come to sift you. In other words, what he wants to do is he wants to break you down. He wants to take your failure and break you down. He wants you to begin to define yourself by that failure. He wants you to say, this is who I am, that I cannot get back up, that I am going to stay in this position forever. And yes, there are things that happen to us, and there are things that we've done that we cannot change. But what Satan intended for evil, God intends for good. See, the sifting process is that he is refining us to be more like Christ. You remember the passage from Philippians, he who began a good work in you shall... Fulfill it, shall perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That is what God is doing. From the time of your justification when you were saved to the time of your glorification when you go to be with Jesus, there's a process called sanctification. And God is constantly bringing things in your life that are difficult. He's permitting them so that you might turn in faith to him and find that he is the source of your strength. Even if it's something that comes from the evil one. See, you, our failures lead to sifting seasons that prepare us for greater usefulness for God. Wayne Cadero said this. He said, God uses sifting seasons for our good because he wants to do something in us before he does something through us. He must humble his servant before he can use him because if a humble servant is used by God to do great things, God gets the glory, not the servant. And we are all called to be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Satan's desire is to destroy. God's desire is to refine. Number two, as failure refines us when we recognize our strength. 
He says, Simon, Simon, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now, the word Simon literally means wavering one. And so when Jesus says, Simon, Simon, he's getting his attention. He's basically saying to him, listen, Simon, in your own strength, you're wavering. And you know, this was not something Simon wanted to hear. In fact, if I were Simon, I would have said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. My name is Peter now. Peter means the rock. And what Jesus was saying is, you know, Peter, you're kind of acting the way you acted before you really discovered who I was. And instead of being the rock, you're, being, you're going to be the wavering one. See, Peter's greatest failure, and I believe our greatest failure, is that we rely on our own strength and not God's. That we get up in the morning, we spend no time with God, we go into the world, we use our own ingenuity, our own smarts, our own abilities, we try to approach life as it is, we try to parent like that, we try to do our marriage like that, we try to love our neighbors that way, and instead of aligning ourselves to the Word of God and surrendering to Him and denying ourselves and taking up our cross, we just go out there and put it in idle or automatic, and we just do life. God is constantly adjusting to our life so that we have to trust Him. And we either get better or we get bitter. And there's a lot of bitter Christians because they've gone through a difficult situation and instead of processing it through prayer and the Word of God, they end up beginning to blame God. You know how foolish it is to blame God for the situations in your life? I've blamed God before is that you are, short you are short-circuiting the strength of God that can be in your life to get through the trial that you're going through because you keep God at arm's length. So the very power and wisdom and strength that God can give you through His Word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through prayer, instead of gaining that, you end up pushing God away and you go into your own strategies to address the situations in your life. And the problem is you just make things worse. You begin to build, you begin to define your self-esteem not by who Christ is and who you are in Christ, but your performance, your standing, your achievements. And that's not where God wants it. You know, we hear a lot about identity politics. The issue about identity politics for a Christian, our identity is in Christ. We are identified by who we are in Jesus. Now, what's going to happen is Peter's going to deny Jesus three times. I think that's what the sifting is, that there's going to be this sifting. He's going to deny Jesus three times. He's going to run, and he's going to go back in his own occupation, and Jesus is going to come after him. In fact, we find out in Mark 16, 7, that when Jesus is trying to meet up with them in Galilee, he says, and bring the disciples and Peter. And then when you look at John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, we see that Jesus restores Peter to the same level of his denial. That Peter denied him three times, and here Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? God, you know I love you. Jesus, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? By this time, he's like, man, you don't know that I love you? Feed my lambs. Then he says it a third time, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. 
feed my sheep. You know what he was doing? Jesus was taking the denials of of Peter and he was matching them up with these affirmations of who Jesus is and his love for Peter and he was saying listen Peter I'm gonna use you in great ways but you need to understand that you have you have a ministry to feed my lambs but the first thing is that you love me the church in Ephesus in Revelation tells us that their biggest sin was they fought, lost their first love can I tell you as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ this church if it loses its first love, it can stand for everything but not really be in love with Jesus. And I want to tell you, you need to be in love with Jesus. And every meeting that you have, every opportunity that you get to gather together, there should exude the love of Christ for one another and the love of Christ for him. That worship should be the center of, of everything we do in our lifestyle. And, and brother, I want to tell you, I worship this morning. This choir led us to the throne of grace but we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus see Jesus knew that Peter loved him but Jesus wanted Peter to know it too so is your faith failing are you wavering or is God emboldening you like the rock I, Max Lucado in his book no wonder they call him the Savior he ponders Peter's restoration listen to what he says no wonder they call it the gospel of the second chance not many second chances exist in the world today just ask the kid who didn't make the little league team the guy who got the pink slip or the mother of three who was dumped for the pretty young thing not many second chances nowadays it's more like it's now or never around here we don't tolerate incompetence three strikes you're out Sure, you can have a second chance. Just ask Peter. It's not every day someone will give you a second chance, much less someone who will give you a second chance every day. See, if we're like Peter and we're a wavering one, we're going to fail backwards, and God can eventually help us to fail forwards. Or we can be like the rock, continuing to strengthen ourselves. And even though we will face times of failure, God can still get the growth and the strength from our life. Number three, failure refines us when we recognize his strategy. He says, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I love this statement of hope. This was not like if you turn again. He says when you turn again. In other words, because Jesus is the Son of God and he knows all things, he's omniscient, he could look down the corridor of time and he could see that Peter was going to repent, turn back to him, and Jesus was going to use him in great ways. Peter had that dream situation. Can you imagine preaching the gospel to a huge group of people and 3,000 people get saved on the same day? I want to tell you. That was something that very few people ever experienced, but Peter did. That was the establishment of the church, and God used him in great ways, but before that could happen, he had to turn again. Now, the word turn again means to retrace your steps back to your original path. It is a U-turn. It's an about face. We could call it repentance. It's not penance where you do good things to make up for bad things. It is that you repent, you turn from going in the wrong direction in sin, and you turn to face Jesus and to walk with Jesus again. Repentance. And repentance is not just reserved for that time when we receive Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. We must be lifelong repenters. And a lot of the repentance that we must give and back to God, the, that we must do, the repentance is normally around our attitudes, our motivations, the words that we say. 
And so sometimes when we fail, we begin to see ourselves as a failure, and we shelve ourselves because God didn't shelve us. Sometimes we just need to repent and say, God, I didn't really believe that you forgave me. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our part is if we confess our sins. His part is to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we do not believe that God forgives us when we ask, we are disbelieving in God himself. Because it's a promise from God. No matter how you feel, it's a promise from God. And he does forgive in Isaiah 43, verse 2, it was read this morning. It says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and, you, and nor shall the flame scorch you. Now then he is told, listen, you need to go strengthen your brothers. Once you turn back, go strengthen your brothers. You know what that tells me? Is that our failures are not final because our failures are, are shared with others and how God is work is shared with others and it helps them on their path. This talks about what the church should be all about. That we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And that's found in Galatians chapter 6. The word strengthen here means to instill in others the firm conviction that God is good even when we experience failure and sifting. See, all the disciples except John departed from Jesus, abandoned Jesus. Only John was there with Mary as Jesus was dying. They had abandoned Jesus. And eventually Jesus had to go back after Peter, and, and I believe through the process between that and Pentecost, he was gathering those guys together and he was strengthening them and helping them through their failures. Another great passage we heard today, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Man, that tells me three truths. Number one, responding in faith in times of pain deepens our walk with God. This year I lost my dad. Lost one of my best friends. Been dealing with going through boxes and boxes of pictures. I drive a lot. And in those gap times when I'm just at a place, I just need to talk to someone, that's when I would talk to Dad. So every day there's that moment when I'm traveling. Sometimes I just am talking to someone and we're talking about dads or something and all of a sudden my eyes will fill with tears. I love my dad. I helped with the funeral. I was there when he died. My wife was there. You go through those kind of trials, you begin to experience things and understand things you didn't understand before. And so when I lock eyes with people today, I can understand that. We had a pastor just lose his dad, and I'm going to the funeral tomorrow. And I can look into his eyes and say, I understand, not everything, but I can understand some of those things. See, we become a source of comfort when we are comforted by God, and we grow in faith through our struggles and trials in life. I want to wrap this up. 
But do you remember when I asked you this? Would you put your feet in the sandals of Peter and walk with him and look at your own trials, failures, things in the past that you've not gotten over, things that you're going through now, things that you need Jesus to intervene and be with you as you walk through that time? Have you put yourself there? Because I want to tell you the grace of God is available to you to strengthen you even through the most darkest days you will face. I was a pastor for 25 years. I've walked with people through the suicide of their children. Through horrible accidents that people went through where people clung to life. Where people were given bad news about something that was going on. People that would go through horrible relational situations. And so I've been in those situations, but I can't understand them the way the Lord can. He tells us to come to his throne of grace that he might give you grace and help in time of need in Hebrews chapter 4. And that's what's available to you. I'm not your counselor. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is your counselor. And I I believe in counseling. But the first person you need to go to is God. John 10, 10, Jesus promises abundant life. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. It teaches us again, we fail forward when we fix our eyes on God. Satan longs to destroy us physically, mentally, and emotionally. But God desires to deepen our walk with him by expanding our capacity to be used. A.W. Tozier said, It's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And can I say this? If you're going through sifting or you've been through sifting, let me say this. God never wastes your pain. God is using your pain to refine you to be more like, like Jesus. Satan's desire is to destroy. God's design is to refine When I received the Lord Jesus Christ, I was 17 years old. I grew up in a Catholic background, got caught up in the alcohol and drug culture of the day, had friends that that had witnessed to me, kind of understood the gospel a little bit, and the Catholic Church teaches some truths that I linked into, but, but I was on a quest. Friend brought me to church after four months. I I received Christ as my personal Savior. He had been drawing me, and I came to a place where I put my trust in Him as my personal Lord and Savior, understanding I was a sinner separated from God, and I desperately need Jesus, that all the things that I was manifesting in my life was because I had a deep need for God. I was trying to replace God with all this junk. And you may say, you know, you needed Jesus. But can I say something? Someone in here who's successful in business... Maybe you have a practice, maybe you, maybe you have some wealth, maybe you have all these different things. And God blesses us with those things. But maybe you have everything that's going on. You know what happens? It, it, ins, it can insulate your heart so that you think you don't need God because you don't live on the verge of desperation the way I was. So you say, what do I need to do to receive Christ? You need to come to God and cry out to Him See your sin for what it is. It's rebellion against God. Don't hold on to anything in this life and cry out to Him. And the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon my name shall be saved. 
And so today we're going to have an invitation. If you need to receive Christ, I want you to come. I'd love to talk to you here and share with you how to receive Christ. If you're here today and maybe you're going through a time of sifting and suffering, and you, I don't know if y'all do this here, but we would do this. This may need to become an altar for you and you need to come here. Or you can just let God deal with you right where you are. But don't walk out of here just to check off a religious box. Come, I hope you've come to encounter God and to realign your life around Him and His life-changing Word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your sweet goodness to us. We thank you that you've given us another day. Lord, we don't know when we will die, but we know one day we will die. One out of one dies. That's horrible news. But Lord, we know that when the Christian dies, they slip into eternity. Lord, one thing I didn't share about my dad was that two months before he died, Lord, you gave me the privilege to lead him to Jesus. I'm so glad you did that. And so, Lord, right now I pray for that person who needs to come to Christ, that they would come and just simply say, I, I need to talk to someone about Jesus. I want to be saved. Lord, there may be others in this room, Lord, they just, they're struggling with something. They just need to come and pray at this altar or pray where they are. Still others, they may need to start the process of becoming a member of First Baptist Church LaGrange. Or maybe you're dealing with them on some other level. Lord, I pray you give us freedom in this place to allow you to deal with our hearts and change us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother.